Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. This is a podcast designed for HR professionals and focuses on insight, tips and guidance on a wide variety of topics. My name's Chris Howard and I'm the Marketing Director at Lace Partners. And this podcast, what we want to do with it, if you've heard us before, you'll already know this, but we want to put HR at the front, at the forefront and centre of any organisation's people strategy. And I think particularly in today's climate, that's quite important. You know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, the uncertainty that that's brought about as we all know, is going to last us well beyond 2020. And so what we wanted to do is we've talked about a variety of different topics on the on the HR on the Offensive podcast whilst you've been in lockdown. And today's topic is about leadership, specifically leadership capability. And so with me today is our very own fabulous executive director of our HR transformation, Emily Onis. How are you doing, Em? you all right? Hey, Chris. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Happy Thursday. Yes, you're thinking, what an intro. What am I going to do with that now? I've been set up quite magn- magnificently there. Uh-huh. Better not disappoint. <laughs> yeah. And joining Emma and myself on today's podcast, we have Steve Bernard, the equally fabulous Steve Bernard. There you go. I'll give you a, I'll give you a big up as well, Steve. So Steve, how are you doing? Very good, Chris. I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. The sun is shining and at the time of recording, of course, we're due for a few weeks of it, I believe. So that always puts a smile on my face. So leadership capability is the topic for today. But before we go into that, you obviously are the founder of ConnectWell. So just before we we talk into our main topic of the day, Steve, if you can just give us a bit of a broad uh, oversight of what you you guys do at ConnectWell and how you support businesses, that'd be grand. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, really uh, happy to, to be invited to chat with you guys and to talk to your HR professional network out there. I, I guess this is quite topical for us because our fundamental belief at ConnectWell is that by connecting people more effectively, ultimately, if you stick to it, it will drive better results. So for us, you know, we've set out our ambition to support, guide and sometimes provide educational programs for ambitious leaders and managers on how to achieve uh, sustainable performance advantage through people, through relationships at work. So something that I hope all um, of, of your HR network out there would be fundamentally focused on anyway. We try to take a little bit of a different approach. So we think of ourselves as management consultants, so we're very much focused on real world business challenges, but we always look at the lens of uh, people how does that business challenge manifest itself in the large groups of people that are the mainstay of every organization? And ultimately, if you like, just as a precy, what we're really trying to do is to help clients help themselves. And the three big buckets that, that the outcomes we're focused on for our clients is around creating sustainable change, increasing internal capability, and providing a fit-for-purpose culture And sometimes that culture includes giving people the confidence to strike out on their own with that sustainable change. So in a nutshell, that's what we we aim to to do. There's a whole vast array of interventions and approaches that we take. But, you know, that that famous adage of start with the outcome in mind, we'll take the business problem uh, in the forefront, but we'll always look at what the client's ambition is. And it's really about ultimately a combination of those three things. Mm, 
fantastic and yeah taking the uh the business's needs and needs as we're talking about today is around specifically around the leadership side is quite important and we've seen quite a lot of stuff in the news about how leaders and businesses are, are behaving some leaders some businesses are behaving very admirably very a- agile and uh, and very successfully and some are not so what I thought I'd do is just kick us off with a nice bit of a brain picking exercise. Uh, and I'll, Steve, I'll, I'll start with you as our guest. Sorry, Ems. Normally I go ladies first, but we'll, we'll, seeing as he's our guest today, we'll let Steve go first. Can you just give us an idea as to some of the, the key topics that you've been talking to, to leaders about? Yeah, thanks, Chris. And um, so I guess the, the, the main one, thinking about some of the, uh, the larger clients we're working with at the moment, the main one is around making sure that leadership teams and and more broadly management teams are keeping uh, a live dialogue and live conversation with their people as they navigate through the crisis. It's too simplistic to say communications. It's much richer and broader than that. But for me, if if I try and sort of emphasize what the the theme that, that I see in our clients, a lot of management teams are struggling with, you know, crisis management, thinking about what shape uh, their organization might be in the future, whether indeed parts of their business will actually survive. And I've seen a really mixed response from people out in the market. Some people have been, you know, a word you used earlier, have been very agile and very adept at keeping the conversation going. They've been very honest in their dialogue with people about what the options are, uh, what the considerations are, and equally, very importantly, where they've got gaps in their own thinking right now where they don't have the answers. Um, And conversely, there are, if I go right to the other end of the spectrum, there are some clients who are a little bit rabbit in the headlights. They are doing the obvious and expected stuff. They're looking at cash flow, which which I won't um, denigrate. Cash flow is, is king and looking after the finances and looking after your numbers is important. But I think with that, they've taken a very, very big step away from keeping their people engaged. And I think the real miss for me is both the, the lacking the ability to use their people as a source of inspiration and a source of ideas for the future. But if their people's heads go down from a leadership perspective and a capability perspective, you won't see the stars in your organization and you won't see the possibilities in your people. So, so it's been a really broad spectrum of responses, um, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And for, for us, it's about perhaps um, shining a light on and championing the good examples where we've seen some great practice, some lovely role modelling amongst leaders and leadership teams. And equally, perhaps just trying to appropriately challenge some teams and some businesses where they are a little bit um, stuck in terms of maybe reverting back to a very singular way of doing things where the communications with their people have suffered as a consequence. It's a really, really interesting point that you made there, Steve, actually. And I think one of the things that I've certainly seen from a lot of businesses, from a lot of stuff that I've been reading is that, you know, people have long memories and people are going to look at this current situation and they're going to see how their companies have behaved and how they've been engaged with and how their leaders have engaged with them. And they're going to react accordingly, I think. I don't know, Ems, do you have any sort of thoughts from that perspective or what do you what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Chris. And kind of if I think about really effective leaders, you want to aspire to be a bit like them in some ways. You know, you, you see traits in them that you 
think absolutely I understand why you're making that decision you've been really transparent about that decision you're being really authentic and I think you know Steve just to kind of pick up on what you were saying there I think it's absolutely fine not to have all of the answers I think there's occasions where even I feel like I you know with my team and granted I'm not leading a you know a multi-million pound organization with hundreds of thousands of people but I am in a leadership position and sometimes I do feel like I need to have all the answers but it's fine not to and I actually think you gain more respect by being open about that than trying to muddle through so so maybe kind of see if we just kind of exploring in your opinion what really makes an effective you know leader what kind of behaviors how do you build trust that type of thing yeah, thank you. I, I totally agree with with your your point, and and I just want to underline something that you've said before we move on. Um, I was talking to a, a chief executive only last week, and he's he's one of these sort of typical characters who's very very logical, very rational, hugely experienced, uh, and one of the fault lines for him is that he's actually been uh, twenty years in his organisation and he's risen to chief executive. The, the conversation got onto the fact that. He was very worried. He was almost becoming rather parental in the worries and the fears about what might happen to his people, the potential for redundancies, et cetera, et cetera. And after conversation, he got to his own conclusion, which was actually people know that I care about the business and I'm, you know, I'm authentic in terms of that care. But I can go a step too far and not talk about some of the worst case scenarios. And in doing so, I won't necessarily ask the right questions of people because they may actually have the answers. So to your point about authenticity, most leaders are already known by their organizations. And if you try and sort of fake it, or you try and perhaps hide something in in a situation like this, it's gonna stick out like a sore thumb. So (laughs) there's something about a continuity of your leadership stance, but also an adaptability as well. So I think it's the blend across the two. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And, you know, recognizing where you need to bring others in because it's a leadership team. There are leaders at all different levels of an organization, lots of different perspectives, lots of different voices. And and in some cases, I think we might find individuals, you know, maybe in middle management or even, you know, right at the very junior levels that actually just shine because they're given that opportunity to to voice an opinion and be part of something to make a change. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, just thinking about the sort of skills and the capabilities for now and for the future are dialogue skills. Again, with the very senior folk who are quite experienced, often what they trip up on is they're very used to being very detailed and very analytical, and there is one singular answer. Um, you know, If you look historically, I think one of the topics that, that you guys are, are very passionate about is HR leaders becoming the leaders of entire organizations. If we look historically, you know, we all know that typically um, finance directors or, or finance professionals often make their way to that top table. So it's not surprising that people are often quite analytical and quite singular. And I think one of the skills for leaders of today and leaders of tomorrow is to have that ability to ask the right questions in a crisis and you know, be okay with ambiguity and a bit of open-mindedness. It doesn't have to be full-on creativity and full-on innovation. That's all, you know, that, that's fine. But actually just simply saying, this gap here in, in, in the management team's thinking, you know, what are other people thinking? What views? What, what are you most worried about? What are you most excited about? Even if it was something that was kind of out there. So uh, that's what I'm encouraging is uh, to create some dialogue skills where people have the ability to, if you like, be more comfortable in that amb- ambiguity with their people. And often um, when they get comfortable doing that, uh, what I observe is that 
great ideas, great insights pop out of nowhere, seemingly, yeah. because uh, going back to vulnerability and going back, back to trust, when people feel safe and they know that they won't be judged for the random idea or the random thoughts, um, suddenly they'll speak very freely and speak very openly. And suddenly the, the penny will drop or a connection will get made. And hey, presto, the, the dialogue moves on to something rather more interesting. Do you know what's interesting? One of the, I read a piece on LinkedIn. It was just a, it was one of those quotes that people put up on LinkedIn, which talks about, you know, I only want to work with people or I only want to hire people that make mistakes because then you learn from them and things like that. And we've been talking about authenticity and being more transparent with your workers. And the question that literally just popped into my, into my head is, as a leader, can you actually make mistakes? What I mean is, I mean, evidently we're all human and we all make mistakes. But as a leader, can you make mistakes and still have your workforce say, okay, do you know what? He's a human being. She's a human being. Can you afford to make that, that those many mistakes? I think that's quite a broad question. I'll ask it to both of you, actually. If any of you want to jump in and have a go at that one, feel free. My perspective, Chris, would be yes. I, I think though, as long as people can understand why a decision was made, whether yeah. they agree or not with that, because not everyone would necessarily agree with that decision. But if there is a sound logic to this is why a decision was made, it was the best in that you know, point in time. We involved these individuals in that. So it was collective versus a single minded just going, you know, gung ho at something. And it does feel like a collective decision. If it doesn't work, which, you know, in some cases it, it won't do and therefore there's a mistake. At least I think you've shown that you did all that you could to do the right thing in that situation. And therefore you get respect for that whether the individuals agree or disagree with the decision was made, at least they can understand why. Absolutely. Um, I totally agree with that, Emma. And, and my build would be, same answer, Chris, you can absolutely make mistakes. I think, you know, you talk about the rationale, understanding the thinking behind the decisions, which I think is totally right. For me, there's something of a threshold. If, for example, you were consistently uh, perceived to be making mistakes, clearly that's not great. And at some point you would drop below some kind of, subconscious threshold where people just wouldn't have the trust in following you but actually if you as long as you stay below that threshold it's almost almost the, the, the trick would be if you could see it would be just to get as close to that threshold as possible without breaching it because actually if you learn together organizationally and you talk about the experiments and the mistakes and people start to hear the positive intent if they start to see the themes to say well actually the purpose or the values of this organization are shining through, even when we're talking about our mistakes and our experiments, that starts to feel very authentic and very real to people. And I think the other point um, would be to say, if you can make the right, if you like, small mistakes, it encourages people to take risk. And I think in a time of crisis, part of leadership is about taking risks and about taking some personal risk, albeit maybe calculated, but without risk, if people are all very, very defensive and very insular, if you will, I think that's the worst, um, the, the worst formula for uh, dealing with a crisis. I agree, Steve. And when um, we think about agile, one of the traits of being an agile organisation and agile leadership is that you do build that culture of it's acceptable to make mistakes within the threshold that you've obviously you've talked about clearly you can't make mistakes all the time <laughs> but that you need to be able to learn fast fail fast and learn fast from that again which is all part of that just going sometimes with something that feels right based on decision based on data to inform the decision and move on from that so yeah. i think that helps with that agility as well yeah yeah just one for you chris i know you, you talked about that the thing you read um, online etc 
Um, another very short but very pithy, I think, uh, relevant point. I was once facilitating um, a group many, many years ago. I think it was a financial services team. And we were asking about great leadership examples. And these were all very seasoned people. And one gentleman in particular turned around and said, the best leader I uh, have had the experience of working with, it was a lady. And he said, whenever anything happened, including the mistakes, she would say, right, OK, that's good. And what have you learned from that? Yeah. Yes. Pure and simple. And I thought that was absolute genius. <laughs> she would yeah. never, you know, if it was a good example, uh, something that went well or something that didn't work out so well, she'd say, okay, good. What have you learned from that? And she'd put it back into what's the positive you can take? And he said she was the best leader I, I've ever experienced. So on that note, what have we learned from a leadership perspective? What have we learned from the last, God knows, since 20, 20th of March or whatever it was when we went on lockdown? What have you learned, Steve, from, from what you've seen from businesses that you've worked with? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, so many things. What, the one that comes to mind first and foremost is nobody. I mean, you talked about sort of singular. No single person has all of the answers. When you're thrown into a crisis, it would be very uh, blasé for someone to say they've got uh, the answers and or they're well adapted to the situation. It's just highly unlikely. So for me, there's something about the power of teams and the power of the collective conscience. So for me, I think businesses are starting to, that truism is starting to come home to roost. So the management teams and the leadership teams that have got together and huddled quickly from the get-go are probably the ones that are now starting to think about how they tunnel their way out of the crisis and they ha how they start to reboot and rebuild. And I think the perhaps hero type cultures and the uh, leaders that perhaps a bit more ego led who want to lead from the front all the time, I would imagine they're the ones that are struggling um, because they potentially haven't got the, the team on their side and they're potentially not getting a rich vein of information and insights from their people. And their people are the ones that touch their customers. Their people are the ones that make the internal value chain work on a daily basis. So without that, they're probably uh, missing out on quite a lot of insight and opportunity. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree, Steve. And sort of to add to that, just to think about my own personal experiences as much as also what I'm seeing my clients doing. I think for me, there's something around, you've got an awful lot of decisions that need to be made in a time like this. Which ones could you potentially delegate? which ones do you absolutely need to make? And that might be you as an individual, that might be you as a leadership team, and then kind of delegate down from there because you're then starting to involve people, um, which is really important in times of crises, obviously. Uh, and I think the other thing that kind of really resonates when I think about this personally, uh, and also then again from conversations that I'm having with our clients is the empathy point and that vulnerability piece. You know, I, I've personally had a couple of conversations with my team where they've said, how are you? And I've gone, you know what? today is just a bad day and it's it took quite a lot for me to say that because I feel like you have to put this face on that you're there everything's fine you're protecting your team but it was really interesting for me on a reflection point because actually you know one or two of them said to me afterwards it's really nice to hear that it's not just me who feels like that we're all in it together mm. so I definitely think there's that element too and clearly there is a line because you, you've got to strike that balance between being strong but also being human yeah yeah, yeah. I really agree. Uh, and I think um, just to build on your point about the delegation piece, I think the wise leaders are those that are delegating and actually saying, 
I've got some really important or we've got some really important decisions to make and situations to solve, some of them very short term and some of them medium term. If they create their space by delegating out and then being able to really focus, the, the important thing for me is when you're asking people to step up and you're asking people to contribute in a new or different way, very often you'll find um, there's a confidence gap. People perhaps have never been asked to contribute in that way before. And I think the great leaders instinctively sometimes or intuitively know their people well enough to say, well, actually, Chris or Emma, I kind of know you can do this. It's just that you've never done it before. Have a go at it. Don't worry about the consequences or the results. This is really a thought experiment and there are no wrong answers. And I think it's those kinds of conversations where perhaps you just give people a new role and a new sense of comfort. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, and we talk about it all the time, psychological safety. If you're asking someone to step into a new role or do something different, that safety kind of drops. <laughs> but actually just yeah. by saying, don't worry, have a go, um, whatever you come back with is going to be useful brain food for us as a management team. And it's those little things. It doesn't. Sometimes those things can be very subtle, but they can be incredibly powerful for people again, go, right, I'm going to actually sort of sit up and have give this a go. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that, actually, because in this current period that we're in at the moment, I don't know about you guys, but well, I do know about Ems because Ems and I speak regularly. But a lot of friends that I speak to, you talk to them about how how you're getting on, how busy is it? And everyone says, oh, it's absolutely crazy. I'm doing so much work. I've done more work in the last sort of eight weeks than I've ever done in my entire working career. And so you know, I'm of an age where a lot of my friends are a similar sort of level to me. They've got people that they're, that they're working with that they delegate work to. And so having that trust to be able to then delegate those people during this time as well, actually, this time, this crisis time that we're in at the moment could provide pivotal for your leaders of the future. Because if you're able to identify the people that work within your team that you can say, right, I'm going to give you this responsibility, then you're starting to Again, we're we're talking about identifying those leaders now. And one of the questions I was going to ask you guys is, you know, how do you identify those people? I think it's almost I wouldn't say it's going to become easier to identify people, but perhaps it's going to force people like myself even to say, do you know what? I have to delegate this. And so I have to. Whereas before I might have held on to something, I might just need to give that to somebody to see if they can just do it themselves. Yeah, I've got two two thoughts. There's probably two parts to my answer, uh, Chris. I think the first one is the good or the great management teams out there have got a good self-reflection. They, they've looked in the mirror before the crisis and they understand their own fault lines. They understand the gaps that they've got. And therefore, if they're looking for new impetus or fresh blood from perhaps across their ranks, because they know themselves really well, they know what kind of input they're looking for. And therefore, they'll go at that question from a perspective of diversity. How can we get an alternative view or a different perspective or a challenge to our thinking? So that's, I think, the first thing. Management teams really need to know themselves. So they identify perhaps where their shadow side or their weaknesses lie. To to be more specific, I guess, when you're thinking about colleagues that have high potential or great potential for now or for the future, there are some personal characteristics that I'd point to. I think um, Emma talked about one earlier, which is that natural willingness to demonstrate some form of vulnerability, to be okay to step forward and have a go at something or say something where perhaps it's swimming against the tide or perhaps someone's not spoken to it previously. And I think also their ability to provide some kind of advocacy. 
if when they speak, they're talking about their whole team or um, a section of customers that haven't been referenced before, that probably gives you a clue that they are naturally good at perspective taking. Rather than taking their view or my view, they're actually looking much more broadly at the business or the situation and saying, okay, I've looked at this across from a very balanced perspective. And I think for me, that's a fantastic sign of leadership where it's not very singular. It's actually very broad in terms of what they come back with. So those are just some of the um, the sort of personal characteristics I'd be keeping an eye out for. I suppose it's quite interesting when we, when we think about that, sort of Steve and Chris, in terms of therefore, how do we now start to reflect upon maybe our leadership development programmes? Does anything need to change there, thinking about the future and also thinking about where we get leaders from within the organisation too. So there's two elements, isn't there? Identifying who's got leadership potential and then nurturing that leadership potential. Yeah. So, so what, what do you both think to that? Well, I think, um, you know, one thing that uh, you guys are, are very passionate about, and I know you focus on heavily, is um, line management capability uh, within LACE. And for me, I think there's a really important role to make sure that now and going forward, you know, the quality of line management is absolutely spot on because, if you start from a blank sheet of paper and you're looking around for leadership potential, that's a pretty big ask or a tall order. If you've got great line managers and you've got the right sort of people data that's not too heavy or overburdening, you've got some clues already. You've got a, a people map and you've got a heat map of where the skills and where the potential might lie. So I think the first piece is to make sure that that line management skill set and systems are strong and appropriate. I think um, the second point is, you know, there's lots of uh, historical examples of where people have tried to look for leadership and and then fostered leadership development. So thinking back in my own career and um, working with people like Royal Mail in the past, they've done some very high profile things like create a shadow executive. So they've, they've looked at the executive team and when, for example, we've been working with them on a strategic question, They've looked across their team, not just one level below, but several levels below, and said, you know, these guys are actually our leaders of the future. Why don't we appoint them to shadow roles? You can become the shadow finance director. So when we're on away days or when we're on leave, et cetera, you have shadow meetings and, you you know, you take on our day job, our agenda, and we'll come back and listen to your uh, your deliberations and what you you would view. And I think it's situations like that are fantastic as long as they're not tokenistic. <laughs> so mm. Sometimes you'll, you know, you'll hear them and you'll think, okay, but did you actually look at the results of the shadow executive and did you actually work on providing really robust feedback? So there's lots of ways and means you can create the development footprint and the development opportunity. I think for me, it's really important about doing something with it. So it's got some kind of longevity to it. A, a model which I subscribe to quite heavily is the Lombardo 70-20-10 model which says that essentially 70% of our growth, if you like, is about doing. It's the act of doing, et cetera. So I think um, going forward around leadership capability, we shouldn't probably mess with that proportion. We should find opportunities and find excuses wherever they might lie to um, ensure people have got the hands-on experience to be able to take maybe something from the classroom or to take a mentoring relationship and then take it somewhere else somewhere further that's real world because i think if it's if it's not got an element of risk to it if you don't give someone enough kind of rope if you will and there's a slight element of risk and maybe the hairs on the back of your your neck don't go up then actually it's not very tangible if you've got that sense of crikey i've been given this responsibility and i've got a lot of runway in front of me that's when you'll see people really step up when they're really 
the kind of lessons will kind of drop in and they start to integrate it into their into their wisdom if you will yeah do you know um what you said earlier steve about you know the what did we learn from this i think that's a fantastic point actually and in terms of management development, leadership development programs, things like that, I think back to, so one of my previous roles, a previous company, I'll completely remain nameless. I was told I was a high performer and I was put on a management development program along with another dozen managers. And it literally was quite an inspiring session, but the management development program effectively consisted of giving me a big book of things to read and then turning up for two or three sessions over a period of time. And then at the end of it, it was it was, you know, disappear off back to your day jobs. And I've had that so many times from so many different organizations and friends. And it really surprises me that even in today's age, I mean, that was a fair few years ago, but even today, I still hear that, that sort of mindset. It's about, and, and I, lo- I loved the idea of tailoring each, you know, I was, a, I am a human being with different intricacies and nuances about me so chucking me in a classroom environment and giving me the same stuff as everybody else just isn't going to work so it's that tailored learning side and it's the you know at the end of it it's what did you actually learn from it nobody actually asked me that question after this management development program it was just so there you go Um, and now you can take some of these principles away and I thought it was fantastic for about three days but then after three or four days well probably three or four weeks and the book that I'd been given started gathering dust on the uh, desk that I had it was just promptly taken home to which my wife then said is that going to stay there forever and I think probably a couple of years ago it got binned so yeah yeah Chris I I I hear you um the number of stories and examples I hear that are similar to that are are far too many so so let me counter it with a really good example and and I won't mention the names uh, for obvious reasons but uh, about three or four years ago, we were working with a fantastic client who was the comms director in um, an insurance company. And she had the equal and exact opposite perspective. She invited us in. Uh, it was a merger and acquisition scenario. And she invited us in to help recruit and train a group of change agents. And the one criteria, it didn't come from us, it came from her, was you can be anyone. You can be... I don't want to be rude, um, but, you know, the photocopying assistant, but the, the new cleaner, it doesn't matter. But anyone can join this group of change agents for this, uh, this role for the next year, 18 months. And if I fast forward to the end, what happened was we did the formal set piece. So we ran three or four uh, sessions for these guys. And going back to an earlier point, one of the big things we had to work on, they're very bright people and they didn't need a lot of instruction. We had to work quite hard on their confidence. It was about you know their belief in their abilities wow. and their belief in the validity of their experiences to date. Uh, but if I fast forward to the end, when they did some really big things in the marketplace, those change agents were actually um, making the executive team rather nervous because they gelled together, they became a team in their own rights, and the level of challenge and the quality of challenge was absolutely tip top. And it partly it was you know you know we produced something that was quite interactive for them. But, you know, that client at the get-go knew that leadership wasn't a hierarchical concept. Anyone had the ability. It was really about the attitude. So it's a good example of her recruiting change agents. And it could equally apply to HR business partners, you know, anyone involved in, in HR where change is very, very prevalent. It's about just making sure you've got the attitudinal brief right and then providing the right platform for them, not about, as you say, the set pieces and about the books that you go home with. Yeah, 
Steve, this has been brilliant. It's been really good. We're just coming towards the end of today's podcast. So I just wanted to thank you because it's been a really, really good chat. We'd love to have you on again, I'm sure. And Ems, can I can interrogate you a bit more? I'm sure you'd be up for that, Ems, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Always. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so via uh, searching for HR on the offensive. You can also find this on the Lace Partners website. It's lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud. There's normally direct links from there. And you can find us if you search us on LinkedIn at Lace Partners or the Twitter handle, which is Lace Partners as well. Steve, before we go, have you got any socials that you're, you're on that you want people to uh, connect with you on? Uh, yeah, please do connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a Twitter presence as well, but LinkedIn is the uh, primary vehicle for our social media and our uh, connectivity. So I'd be very happy to hear from people on either of those platforms. And um, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, Emma and Chris, to uh, talk to you about this. Very interesting and uh, relevant space that we're talking about today. Well, it's been great to have you on. Steve, thank you very much. Ems, thank you very much as always. Thank you both. And we'll see you next time on HR on the Offensive podcast.